Hi, everybody. Welcome to Artifice episode 89. Um, I don't know what it is, but I have been feeling such a resurgence of creative energy after sort of a, like a little bit of a sleepy December. Um, don't get me wrong, you guys. I mean, if you know me at all by now, you know that I'm I tend to be kind of busy, like no matter what. But um, I've just feel I've been feeling more more inspired about the things that I'm busy with in the last couple of months. Just, I don't know, feeling kind of a, um, feeling a new sense of clarity maybe about what I'm doing and kind of what the long-term, um, you know, direction of my, my projects is, is, uh, is where it's going. Um, you know, I think, I think I'm the kind of person a lot of times that, um, I figure out what I'm doing like in the process. I mean, I do a ton of planning, but, um, but I'm planning kind of these individual branches and I, I'm not always sure like what I'm building (laughs) until, um, until I've gotten, you know, a little ways down, um, the path and yeah. And I feel like I have just some new ideas. I, I can't say that, um, you'll notice anything different, but, um, like, or at least right away, but, um, but yeah, anyway, I'm, I'm excited. The biggest thing that I've been specifically spending time on in the last couple of weeks has been this songwriting course, which I think I've talked about on the podcast, but, um, I'm building this online songwriting course and it is, it is huge. It is a huge thing. I'm so, so proud of it. Um, it is nine modules um, and kind of my own unique methodology. And um, I think I so far I've recorded, um, I think, 41 lessons and I still have two entire modules to go. So it's I mean, it's huge. It's it's a ton of stuff. And um, yeah, I just I feel um, I feel like I'm I've been executing it pretty much exactly like I imagined it would go. Um I'm really, really pleased with it. So if you're a person who has um, always wanted to learn how to write music, um, even if you feel like you have no idea where to begin, um, or if you're a person who's looking for kind of new strategies or new ways to kind of deepen the way that you um, apply your personal creativity to composition, um, keep on the lookout. Make sure you're on my mailing list because I'll be offering some great um deals for the launch, which is going to be April 1st, unless something really, uh, intense happens to me in the next couple of weeks. I'm, um, I think I'll be done filming it pretty soon here. Um, yeah, and it should be all ready to go. So anyway, that's my kind of big news. Um, if I have any other, um, insights about this kind of, uh, I don't know, reinvigorated clarity that I'm, that I'm kind of feeling, I, I will let you know, but for now, um, like suffice it to say that it's just, it's kind of what's going on with me. And I don't know. I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, uh, you know, if you want to talk to me more about it, you know, I love to hear from you. So, um, I'm really easy to find as I've mentioned many times, please, as always feel free to reach out and say hi to me and chat with me. I would love it. Um, well, today's interview is a special guest, Mr. David Baker, who is incidentally my new boss at UVU. Um, and I've 
I've really enjoyed getting to know him a little bit over um, the last couple of months since he moved uh, to Utah from Colorado to start teaching at Utah Valley University. Um, he's real positive and just um, seems like a great guy, and I'm looking forward to working with him for many years to come. Um, so let me introduce you a little bit further to David Baker. David Baker is currently serving as assistant professor and area coordinator of jazz and commercial music at Utah Valley University. He received his Doctor of Arts from the University of Northern Colorado in jazz studies, emphasizing in performance and composition. He has been an active performer for over 15 years with over 200 performance credits in 2019, including performances at Jazz at Lincoln Center, the Oklahoma Jazz Hall of Fame, Dazzle and Jazz Supper Club, and the Colorado Symphony Orchestra. And then there's a whole list of um, people with whom he has shared a stage and played with, um, different awards and things, and then great musicians who have performed um, David's compositions and arrangements. Um, and then uh, and then a list of people that he's worked with in, in pop, in addition to jazz. Um, David has been a singer-songwriter for over 10 years. He combines these skills with music business, graphic design, and marketing under Model Records, his independent record label. David has given master classes and lectures across the United States, including most recently at the 2019 International Society of Bassists Conference in Bloomington and the 2020 Jazz Educators Network Conference in New Orleans. His recent research aims to redefine early jazz history and focuses on the consequential role of religion in the development of jazz. And we talk about that a bit at the end of the interview um, and talk about a lot of great things uh, before then. So please enjoy my interview with Mr. David Baker. Great art almost feels like magic. It opens our minds to brand new ideas and teaches us to see ourselves and our world more clearly. Of course, behind all great art, there are artists, and I think that's where the real magic happens. As we go beneath the art itself to explore how artists do what they do, we see glimpses of the sorts of creativity and resilience that lead to the art that moves our world. And maybe we can learn to borrow some of that magic for our own thinking. That's the goal here. And now that we're on the same page, let's dive in. I'm Emily Merrill, and this is Artifice. Today's episode of Artifice is brought to you by Skylar. Skylar is an LA-based clean fragrance brand that uses clean, conscious ingredients to craft beautiful, innovative, and hypoallergenic scents. And all of their products are vegan and cruelty-free so you can feel good about what you put on your body. I'm super sensitive to smells, almost everything gives me a headache. But in the two years I've been wearing Skylar, I have loved it every single day. My fragrance of choice is Willow, but Skylar's best-selling scents are Vanilla Sky and Salt Air. And all of Skylar's fragrances are made to layer, so you can experiment to find the exact combination of scents you love. In addition to gorgeous perfumes, Skylar has lotions, soaps, deodorant, candles, and more. Head to skylar.com slash artifice, that's S-K-Y-L-A-R dot com slash A-R-T-I-F-I-C-E for a 20% discount applied automatically at checkout. Enjoy! I'm here with David Baker, who is my boss <laughs> <laughs> and my friend. Um, and I like to start with everybody, as the listeners will know, um, with the question, what were you like as a creative child? So just tell me like how, how creativity, how it was clear as you were a child that like 
you were creative or whether it wasn't clear, but I just feel like it probably was. Sure. I don't know if it was clear to me, but I'm sure it was clear to my family. Um, I was always kind of engaging in different projects and things of that nature. Um, I like to, to build and create things obviously. Um, and I remember, uh, like I would get obsessed with a project in the way that so many of us do. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I I would always follow it through in a weird way, but I think my, my journey with music anyways, um, you can, we can talk about all kinds of stuff. I actually personally, mm-hmm. like I'm le- I'm almost less interested in like the particular mediums that we've yeah. picked and more just like what's going on in your brain. So yeah. I, I actually like would love to ask what, uh, what kinds of stuff you were building and doing when you were little, like yeah. what were those things? I remember I would just find ways to use things in the wrong way and kind of make it work. Um, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of like small examples, but one that kind of comes to mind was, um, I remember I had found like a bootleg copy of Adobe flash. Cool. And it was like, people used it to make animations and things like that. Um, and like, I had no interest in, in making an animation and I had this computer and I like downloaded it on there, uh, illegally, which was not cool, but, uh, but you were a child. And- oh yeah. I was like yeah. 12 or whatever. And, um, I remember just like basically like it was very rudimentary in terms of what you could draw with unless you had a tablet and I didn't have a tablet. Yeah. Um, so basically I would take like the square tools and things like that and the gradient tools and I'd start just drawing through that using yeah. it as if it was like Photoshop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it was like super stripped down. And I remember thinking it was a really fun challenge to try to make something look realistic Cool. And, and, and so I, I can't remember what it was at the time that I was drawing. I remember drawing instruments uh, a fair oh, amount. Cool. And so there was like a picture of Victor Wooten. I put it on there. Yeah. Now just like try to trace out all the different colors and things like that. And eventually like a, deleting all the lines yeah. and things. And did you do like, were you, were you doing like visual art? And I mean like a children's version of visual art mm-hmm. when you were like little yeah, I, I'm sure I, I was to a certain extent. Uh, I don't have a lot of memories from when I was really young, oddly. Um, but I, I remember, like, uh, I was a classical violinist, and, and I really okay. liked Itzhak Perlman. And so it, it for me, it was always, like, impulsive, creative decisions. Yeah. And so it would be like, today I'm going to draw Itzhak Perlman. I have a yeah. box of crayons and a piece of printer paper. I will spend four hours now and then totally. I then was I like put that it away. Too. So, <laughs> so you would like, you would give yourself like assignments kind of. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. I'm so interested in that. This is the kind of thing like, you know, I think so much about like, I like, I, I love to think about like the kind of intersection between like our genetic makeup and kind of like our personalities mm. and like the ways that we are creative. Yeah. And I mean, I've done, like I'm getting close to like a hundred episodes on this thing. So like I've had conversations with enough people that I know that not everybody is like this, but I mm. am and you are. Yes. Um, so this kind of like I'm giving myself an assignment and I'm sure you don't think of it quite like that when right. you're little, but like, where do you think that comes from? Like, what do you think that is? Well, I guess for me, it, it, it comes from a couple of places. Um, I know my dad liked to draw and we had his kind of paintings and things around the house. And so I was always interested in that, but I'd never really pursued it. Um, the thing that kind of comes to mind, my mom's a teacher, okay. a math teacher. She's very type A. My sister's very type A. Uh, my brother was not, but he wasn't living with us for that. He was older, older and moved yeah. away. Um, and so 
uh, my mom hates arts and crafts. She okay. skipped kindergarten. She always says she never learned she to share. Hates and like, arts and crafts. Yeah, she hates arts and crafts. <laughs> Why? So as like a kid, we really didn't do a lot of it. Interesting. Um, yeah. And, you know, maybe a little bit when we went to my grandparents, but they, you know, yeah. they weren't going to let us run around the house with paint or anything. Right, right, right. And so I think for me, um, I guess looking back, I, I, I don't know if I considered it at the time, but it was, I knew I wanted to express myself somehow. Yeah. And it was kind of this thing of like, I would get it all out at once kind of thing. Sure. Like in these little spurts. Yeah. Just yeah. be like, this is the thing I'm going to sit down and I'm going to do yeah. this. And you're kind of making me think of something in like a different way than I've thought of it before. Mm. Like I also really love like to this day, like, I, I mean, I work in a, I work in the arts, but s frequently my favorite like form of creativity is like structuring a project. Mm. Like I really, I love like planning, like like I feel as creative about like planning when I'm going to do the project as I feel about like doing the actual project sure, sure. a lot of the time. And sometimes I want, like I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I, I usually think that that is because I didn't come from a creative family, but I mm. did come from a family of like really type A people. Sure. Sure. So like that was a form of creativity that was like, but I'm actually thinking more now, like, just yeah maybe it's the same thought but that that type of like that type of mind and like planning thing like there is a lot of room for creativity in it yeah i mean i know i guess from my perspective um it, not that it was a conscious decision but i think it's almost a rejection of the type a personality like I, sure. I, i'm a twin right like so, a, it's a bastardization exactly. of it <laughs> yeah because my sister is is my twin sister right it's very type a very organized yeah she loved to schedule everything she had lists all of those things yeah you know uh, she's in med school yeah and i went yeah. to just i got a doctorate in music so yeah. both doctors one's more useful perhaps yeah. um <laughs> but uh like she would be very goal oriented. Yeah. Whereas for me, like, um, and I wouldn't use the word impulsive, but I, I'm certainly would classify myself as somewhat visionary. Like I like to sure. imagine and, and think about what a project could be. I don't like to plan a lot. I really hate planning yeah. actually. Um, I like to improvise and let things kind of unfold yeah. as they, as they do. And I think maybe that's where some of those projects happened was it was just sure. like, I want to do this and these are my resources and I'm just going to make it happen. Yeah. Do you think that visionary component of like imagining something finished, like that's, I'm assuming that's a big motivator for you? Yes, yeah. definitely. And um, you felt like that as a little kid. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I would always have these like wild goals and like, I'm going to dig a huge hole today. Yeah. And, Stuff and, like, like little kid exactly. versions of those things. And you know, like yeah. my friends and I, I had a, one of my best friends growing up and I, we would make like home videos and we would commit a lot of time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I remember one time, uh, you know, those poppers that you throw on the yeah. ground, we had this idea, we were making a movie and we wanted a loud bang and, uh, we decided we would unravel a bunch of those onto a paper towel yeah. and make this big thing. And what we didn't realize was as you add more to the pile, the pressure on the ones in the bottom grows. Yeah. And so we had our faces down in there really working. <gasps> oh, no. And then I remember it just exploded in our faces. And it was oh, this whole gosh. thing. Um, but then we did it again because we, we didn't get to film it. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it was this kind of commitment to these projects and, and he and I ended up, um, we started a band for fun and we decided we're going to make a record and we just like had all the equipment yeah. and we put it in the basement and stayed up all night for like four summers Yeah. and just record. So it was like kind of these commitment to these projects, totally. I guess. One thing that I talk about a lot with people is like the idea of permission, like, mm. um, you know, for a young person who's creative, 
depending on what your situation's like, like, and that, that could mean is creativity valued in your home? It could also mean, are there paints? Is there a piano? Sure. Um, but sometimes these like permission things like kind of, am I allowed to, like I was interviewing someone a couple of weeks ago who was telling me that she would alter her clothing. Like she would make fringe. Oh, okay. And like, it never would have occurred to me to do something like that because yeah. like, it seemed like that's definitely like breaking a rule, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm wondering if like having this, this visionary thing of like, I can see this finished project product or project um if like the kind of like optimism that's created by like mm. imagining the finished thing helps you like deal with a lot of that permission stuff it's like we're just doing it we're doing yeah. it yeah because i can see that finished thing I, i've never thought about it in terms of of permission before that's really interesting um I guess, so the way my mom was growing up, you know, my dad left us fairly, when I was fairly young. So she was basically, you know, she was my only parent and, um, she would, uh, so, okay. I was taking violin lessons at the time. I was a classical violinist and how, I would do recitals. How old were you when you started violin? Uh, I was in fourth grade. However old you are in okay. fourth grade. 10. 10. Uh, I was 10. Oh man. Yeah. That's nuts. Um, so I played violin for a, a, a long time and, um, it was kind of twofolded in, in that scenario and how that affected all aspects of my creativity. But the first was my mom is, is as a teacher, very fair, but very honest. So when I would have her recital, she'd say, I'm really proud of you. That was uh, great. You know, your intonation wasn't amazing and yeah. things like that. She was just very honest and it was incredibly supportive. I don't mean it to sound yeah. like it wasn't. Um, well, and I always I think appreciate that, that honesty is like the most supportive thing. Yeah. Like you really can build trust Yes, when you have a mentor that's really honest. Well, and it was always clear she was proud and all of these things. Yeah. So it was never like you would take it and be hurt by yeah. it. It, it she was meant She believed that you growth. could like do better. Exactly. Yeah, in, a, in a wholesome way. Yes. Yeah. And, and the other part of that was my violin teacher, who's an amazing man named Ilya Fishov. And um, he kind of defected from the Soviet Union, not kind of, he did defect yeah, from the Soviet cool. Union, ended up in America, <laughs> this whole thing. Um, and so he noticed I had technical deficiencies in my violin playing. I knew I did too. I had no interest in fixing them. I yeah. still like, I hate working on technique. Yeah, I it's really not spend the way that your creativity <laughs> yeah, wants to live. It's a little too type A for my yeah. personality type, right? Sure. Um, and so he knew that and recognized it. And so we would find other ways to address it. But his whole thing was about storytelling. Yeah. And I, ever since I was in kindergarten, I, I used to write poems, a lot of poems. Actually, I forgot about this part of my life now. And just I can't back. tell you how many people sit in that chair and go, I used to write poetry. Wow, I haven't thought about it that yeah. so long. Like, it happens a lot. I, I <laughs> forgot about that. In elementary school, I wrote like books of poetry cool. that had narratives. I, the, I think that's what it is, is storytelling. Yeah. I, I love storytelling. And there's so many mediums to tell stories. Totally. And this really teacher recognized that. this, right? Yeah. And so we would play music and he would be like, what's this about? And I remember like one of my first pieces was this tune called The Hunter. And it was in D minor, which um, going to synagogue a bunch as a kid, I was like, that's the Jewish key. And yeah. we always, that was an inside joke with us. Anything in D yeah. minor was the Jewish key. Um, <laughs> but he was like, what's the hunter doing here? And yeah. these things. And he really cultivated that. Yeah. And kind of for, let, we both forgave the technique in favor of storytelling, which in hindsight was such a, um, a blessing yeah. and, and it affected my whole career. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's one of the first lessons I teach in some of my classes I love here. that. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess that was kind of the root of all of those things and developing that idea. Um, I mean, a lot of my adventures into music that got me even close to where I am today yeah. started with me just wanting to tell a story. So, uh, I, 
learned guitar by sneaking into my brother's room when he was at work yeah. and pulling his guitar off the wall. Yeah. He didn't want me in his room. He yeah. definitely didn't want me touching yeah. his guitar. <laughs> and I'd very, very quietly yeah. mess around with the guitar. Yeah. And uh, before before I could really learn guitar, I was more fascinated with r- singer-songwriting. I wanted to write yeah. songs. I liked poetry. I wanted to write poems yeah. with chords. And, and you were like how old this when was you were having those thoughts? Late middle school, early high school okay. about. Because okay. um, I remember I would write lyrics and I'd be like, I like these lyrics. This is a song. And I had two friends that played guitar. And I would go to play with them. Um, and I couldn't really play. I was trying to learn bass guitar, but I didn't really know a lot then. But the way I would write the songs was I, I found online there was a, a guitar chord kind of encyclopedia and yeah. it had a play button cool and you could save up to four chords in a row cool 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 and so it would show you this is like a c add nine chord with the yeah. fingering and you hit play and it plays it and you could save up the four chords and whatnot and so i just find combinations of chords i liked not thinking yeah. too much about it just being like this is this and i know yeah. it's possible on guitar yeah so i'd write the chord symbols and i write the lyrics and i bring it to my friends and they were you know like middle school guitar players and they're like yeah. i don't know what that is i don't know what that is i'm like i know it's possible and they <laughs> figure it out yeah, and they'd be like well what's the melody i'm like i don't know i just <laughs> yeah. know the words and these are the chords yeah and so it became this kind of adventure of of this is the story and I don't know anything else around it and well, build from there. I see that. Like when I'm talking about permission, I'm talking mm-hmm. about that kind of stuff. Like just this oh, kind yeah. of gutsy, like, cause so many kids and I'm sure you haven't taught as many like little kids. No, you, you don't teach little kids. Usually do you interact with little kids ever? Like not as often as I thought you I don't would have like a ton of nieces and nephews no. and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, like all of the people who live here have a ton of nieces <laughs> and nephews. Um, yeah, I think, I, I teach a, l- a lot of children and I find so frequently that there are children who are so really beautifully creative who are terrified to take those kinds of steps. Mm. And I don't, I don't see that as a problem necessarily. They sure. just need an adult to tell them you can yeah, and then they will. Um, but I'm so fascinated by, you know, each of us that manage to maintain creativity into adulthood, like what are the threads? You know, how do we do it? And it sounds like for you, like there was all this kind of big curiosity and Mm -hmm, just like, definitely you were interested in stuff and you wanted to tell stories. So there's that kind of like inherent like energy. And then also a bit of like, I'm just doing it. Yeah. I suppose I wasn't afraid of a consequence. Yeah. No one. (laughs) Well, and even just, I mean, not even, not even that you're going to like get in trouble kind of permission, but just like a consequence could be, you know, your friends being like, I don't know how to play these chords. I mean, that's a consequence. Yeah, definitely. But it's not a consequence that you. I didn't care about cared it. About. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, do you have thoughts about like, I mean, do 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 you feel like you have like cultivated that inherent thing? Do you feel like you have insight into like how you do it? Yes, yes, and no. Um, it's. It, on the yes hand, I, I have kind of, I, I, I hesitate to call them rules, but I have um, uh, patterns that yeah. I've developed over the years that I can rely on. But I, I try to let myself break rules a lot. And, yeah. and, and honestly, I mean, in every part of my musicianship, I realize, like, you know, I do singer-songwriter stuff, but I'm also a jazz musician in, in yeah. all of these different things. And I realize they all come to the same kind of middle ground where it's when I feel like I'm expressing myself most genuinely it's when I disregard as much as I know is mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm working on a new singer songwriter album now and cool. I have so many chords in, <laughs> that are going to be on this album that are nothing. Yeah. They are not, um, transcribable. They yeah. are not identifiable. Yeah. They're just the chord the that goes there. I like, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I which really is relate funny. to that. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think I like that. Like my end result is maybe similar to mm. yours, but my like way of getting there is kind of different. Yeah. But yeah, I do relate to being a child that just like has ideas and is like, I'm just going to do it. Yes. Like I'm going to figure out a way to do it. Yeah. Like I, I remember being little and um, like I always wanted to make things for people. Like I always yes. wanted yeah, to make okay. like gifts. Like mm-hmm. I always want to make things to give people. And I remember just like doing weird stuff. Like one year I made, um, I wanted to make like snowman dolls mm-hmm. for everybody at like Christmas time. Yeah. And I found like all these old like socks Okay. And like tied like a rubber band around. Oh, yeah, you know, sure. I made the sock. I like filled the sock with like rice, you know. But that was just stuff that was like, what can I? You know, it's like this. Just it turns. It what it turns into is like resourcefulness. Yes, definitely. But it's not like that's not how I was thinking of it. It was just sure. like I want to make. Dolls this is what for I people. have, and and then mm-hmm. I you know like tied the bottoms of them with a rubber band and like put a bunch of hot glue in there like you know i was just like what can i find yeah um i tied i put like little scraps of things to make like a little scarf you know but i think i found like some florist wire to make like little arms oh sure sure little twisty arms (laughs) but you know i mean that kind of stuff is not like it's not a particular process it's just like i'm gonna do this thing yeah but when you start doing that kind of stuff when you're nine Mm -hmm. ten you know, when you're an adult, it's just like, it makes you have a totally different type of yeah problem solving strategy. Well, I think too, uh, kind of thinking back about it, I think there's like a fascination with absurdity that you have to have. Sure. Like, or an embrace for it rather, um, to be resourceful and to, to, to allow yourself those permissions yeah. or, like or lack of permission way. is, yeah. it is kind of the idea of like, I don't care if this is absurd in the end, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Like yeah. there's no... And I remember too, like as a, as a kid, I was never like popular. I was never unpopular. I was just kind of like people generally just liked me. And yeah. it was, it was not like, like I, I just didn't care what people thought in that sense. And so it kind of allowed a certain freedom, I guess, yeah. with the people I associated with and that we all commonly just found absurdity funny sure. or yeah. fun. Depend- like, um, so I ran cross country and I was on this team and one of my best friends was on the team with me. And one year there's like a local, um, 5k that happened around Christmas time. And we obviously were running quite a lot and, uh, it was called the jingle jog and, um, people generally Great. would dress up as Santa and cool things like branding. that. Um, absolutely. <laughs> but he and I, it was just after cross country season ended and we decided with a group of our friends that we were going to get a bunch of cardboard boxes and make Mario carts. Yeah. And we were going to run this 5k dressed as different yeah. Mario characters. Of course. And we spent in hindsight, a lot of hours in my friend's garage yeah. when it was freezing, like, yeah. like it looked like a mechanic shop for terrible cars yeah. and just cardboard cars. And we were making these things and figuring out how to get the straps on. And, and your mom was in an arts and crafts nightmare. Uh, she it was at my friend's house, oh. so she didn't care. Uh, if it wasn't at her house, she didn't have to worry about it. <laughs> she didn't like the mess of arts and crafts. I, absolutely, it wasn't like a principle. It was right, just right. like this is too. The final product. And- she loves arts and crafts products. <laughs> I just think that's such a funny thing to mm-hmm. like for a mom to be like. I hate arts and crafts. Yes, um, I mean it makes perfect <laughs> sense, but I also I love it. Um, yeah, this I yeah this is perfect. Like um, I'm so I'm so. Like if there's a, if there's like a goal that I have or like a message that I'm interested in like outputting, it's that like creativity is just, it just, it just is messy and unruly yeah. potentially 
or maybe sometimes it's like really methodical yes. depending on who you are. Yeah. And it's all the things. And the point would be to just do it, you know, do well, the I things. Think, I think a lot of it's kind of a, a, a reconciliation with the self too, right? Like 100%. I think you're aware that you like to plan things yeah. and therefore you plan things. Mm -hmm. Whereas I know I like to improvise yeah, and therefore I improvise. And I think I remember as a child at different times for different reasons, but, um, not allowing myself to to follow my process sure um or someone was you know imposing yeah, someone a tries process to make you Ex ask for permission yeah. or yeah like i you know like in high school i figured out in a lot of my classes if i didn't do this amount of homework i could still get an a in the class yeah and so i just was okay with that and yeah. that my sister and my mom couldn't yeah, stand the that. principle is wrong yeah, yeah. and uh, for me it was just like i <laughs> yeah i could put that time and energy towards other things like building these mario karts yeah. for this race <laughs> so i think you're spot on like i mean it's it, i couldn't agree more um i i do think you know one thing that we all learn eventually is like you know you're you're gonna get your best work done when you follow like your what you are naturally yeah. inclined to at some point, you know, you maybe kind of are like, okay, these are some weaknesses I could work on. Mm -hmm. But I think a big part of the problem is like lots of times we don't start like following our own kind of impulses yeah. until so late. Well, I guess my question for you to follow up on that was like, did you have a lot of free time when you were younger? Yes. I did too. And I, yeah. and, and I feel like this is a commonality with a lot of creative people, at least creative people that continue to pursue creativity mm -hmm. after school. Yes. Um, Which is... That's like my whole exactly because I mean because you know pe we knew people who would invest into creativity but maybe after they graduate fall into something else and that's not fine you know yeah. nothing wrong with that but I, I think a trend with a lot of um, continually creative uh, pursuing people is that they had a lot of free time at some point in yeah. their life and I think that at least for me that was when I really discovered like oh I like to do these things yeah. and I just. You know, because my mom is a single mom, my yeah. sister and my mom were all doing things. So yeah. there's times where I was just home alone or yeah. for a while. And it was you find things to keep yourself mm -hmm. occupied. <laughs> yeah. And I think like even just, you know, in retrospect for me, like I was writing a lot of poems. I was mm -hmm. drawing a ton. I was making crafts with whatever was around. Yeah. I was like, but then like, so those are kind of like active, like, you know, and then I was playing on the piano, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Those are like arts related things. But then I also was just like riding my bike around the neighborhood yeah. and like just looking at stuff for sure. And I was reading a lot, you yeah. know, like there were also these kind of like internal, mm -hmm. like, like input of kind of creative, like yeah. exploration that also I find now that I, I think was, is like very valuable to me. Yeah. I th it's like the idea of an adventure. Yeah. Um, cause I know like we're just we paying attention. Yeah. Like, just, like I was just saying this to someone the other day, but be in an interview, but because I was saying it to him, I've been thinking about it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I grew up in Arizona, which is, you know, if you're in the suburbs in Arizona, there is not a lot of nature sure. to behold. <laughs> um, there's very little like, but I remember as a child, like, and I, I, it makes me like appreciate my child self, like mm -hmm. thinking about this kind of stuff. But I would ride my bike around and just notice like which different kinds of artificial rocks were in each neighbor's yard. Like, oh, yeah, okay. These rocks are kind of bluish and like these rocks are smooth. Mm. And like that just felt like, I mean, I think I was doing my like sad version of like someone <laughs> who lives like in a forest being like a bug and yeah. a flower. <laughs> but I'm just like these fake rocks and these fake oh, rocks. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I don't know. It just, I don't know 
I don't know what my point is other than like, I think I find it valuable as an adult to try to think about the things that I did unprompted as a child. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's funny. I, I don't find myself reflecting on childhood very often. It's more of like my young adult years and in my teenage years, which is I've never th- realized that until this conversation. Yeah. But I look back and I, I realize I always surrounded myself with people who were at least somewhat creative in some way. And yeah. we kind of fueled each other, you know. Yeah, we, you valued that inherently. Yeah, I think it was the thing I gravitated towards. And, and you know, it could be just for stimulation, yeah. it, you know, just keep myself occupied. It could be, it was, I mean, I always find that fun, of course. Yeah. And I've always gravitated towards absurdity, yeah. like I was saying. So I think like the idea of like, we're going to play tag, except all yeah. the rules are gone. Yeah. I have two questions. Yeah. And then we can move on to like how you started making your skills like. Sure. You know, getting them to like a competitive level or whatever or a serious level. I don't know. Um, I want to know, uh, did you ever get pushback for any of these things that you find like not that now Mm. are really valuable, like these kind of creative impulses? And before I forget, like I'm already forgetting. um, Let's just answer that one. I'll try to remember what the other one was. I I don't recall any pushback at any point in time my mom was always supportive in the sense like she wouldn't be like you should pursue that and sign up for these lessons and things she'd very much kind of leave us to our own devices unless we expressed interest in in doing a thing um and so what about like from teachers like maybe maybe mm. like at a time in your life where you're maybe not yet kind of thinking like I'm taking music really seriously, but sure. like, did you ever have teachers even just, I don't, I don't even mean like private lesson teachers just be like, David, you're doing this wrong. Or like, mm. like where the things that you find valuable about your kind of like, um, process or like, you know, what you're just naturally good at people telling you like that was not the way to do it. Um, I know. Yes. Um, so, you know, like in middle school orchestra, we would have, like playing test and I would do okay on them because yeah. you know my technique like I was saying wasn't great but I think when I think back about it nothing really stands out particularly because I, I really distinctly remember not caring oddly yeah. enough it was just like you had kind of some sort of internal confidence that you yeah, were just, just like doesn't matter knew what I wanted to do not that I was necessarily thinking about pursuing it as a career at that point in time it's probably it just, partly why you didn't care what people said yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah, it's It's like i why should there's no reason why this person should be an authority to me in this way well and it's it's, for me too it's like the things i prioritized i knew i prioritized and the things i knew i didn't i i didn't yeah and so if somebody said that wasn't good and it was not one of the things i prioritized then i was like okay well yeah that makes sense yeah it was it was very logical to me like sure. if, if i got feedback it didn't like feel that. personal it was just like yeah i don't no. work on that so. and that you know yeah. probably credit to my mom with like yeah. the recital culture kind of thing where she would tell me you know critical things but it was never um wrapped up in your value yeah, yeah. right it was very clear that my output into the world was not connected to my self-worth and yeah. i think i've at least I feel like I've done a good job of maintaining that. Yeah, that's um, so cool. I that's really like, it's so valuable. Um, I remembered what my other question oh, was, great. which is, um, did you feel like the adults in your life when you were, you know, like 
maybe under the age of like 15 you know i okay, try to yeah. think like before you start thinking of yourself as someone that has to like live in the world and you're <laughs> you know like uh, there's some kind of a developmental change mm-hmm. but like that maybe starts to shift when you're like 16 or so but did you feel like adults in your life were like did they reflect to you that you were like a creative like did you feel like that was like part of your identity uh yeah i think so um I mean, because I was always doing these weird little projects, I, it was like, I think a lot of it, I was just inventing extracurricular activities for myself, sure. right? You're bored. Yeah. yeah. And, and curious. Yeah. yeah. And so like, like the poems in elementary school, I don't remember ever writing them outside of class. Yeah. I remember being in class and then at the end of class being like, hey, teacher, I wrote this poem. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and didn't listen to what you were saying. Yeah. <laughs> but they, but the adults, they, they reflected back at you like you're very creative they seem to foster i don't i don't remember people um lashing out about that i think to be fair too it was i I still you know took care of business like i i never i was not in a position where i was you know detrimenting myself i would say um because if that had happened i I would have expected pushback and i would have welcomed it um I also was always doing other stuff in class. Yeah. Like I, I frequently got my work done early mm. and I was always drawing or reading. Like I was mm. never not. And in fact, I was just having this memory the other day of like, I was in like in my school, there would be like, if you, I was always like a year ahead in math. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there would be like a class for people who were my same grade. There would oh, be enough yeah. of us okay, where sure. we were the same age, but we were in an advanced class. Yeah. And sometimes you would just end up in the class where like you're the only one oh, yeah, a yeah, younger yeah. grade. Mm-hmm. And I was in one of those, which would mean that we're all learning the same stuff, but I care more than all yeah, the other kids right. in the class. Naturally. Right. And I remember like it was algebra and I was in the eighth grade and I was in a ninth grade class mm-hmm. and I was reading Tess of the Durbervilles, which is like now mm-hmm. one of my favorite books, yeah. Thomas Hardy. And, uh, I st- was bawling. Like I was <laughs> in the class, just like hyperventilating, like sobbing because the book was so sad and everyone else was like doing their math homework. And I just felt like I am in the wrong <laughs> environment right now <laughs> like, i'm done with my homework and i'm sitting here sobbing yeah, in this yeah, yeah. class because i'm just like <laughs> trying to like keep my mind occupied right right anyway just a little aside but i feel like i didn't really read that much through high school although literature always fascinated me languages super fascinate me the idea of i think when I think about literature and poems, I think um, more and more I realize or, or at least come to terms with the idea that it's not really about the prose itself. But for me, it's about like connotation and, yeah. and like the implication of words and when you choose to use things yeah. and, and like the intent behind yeah. something. I agree with that. And also it's like percussive. Like, yeah, I get really much. interested in like the actual like mouth sounds. Yeah. 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 In language. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Anyway, so, okay, so you as a child did all kinds of stuff. You were, like, making films. You were trying, you were making, like, little movies. Mm -hmm. You were writing songs. You were Mm -hmm. playing the violin. You were trying to learn guitar. You were doing poems. You were, like, making visual art sometimes. Yeah. On either digitally or analog. Just whatever. You did all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you tell me kind of, like, the story of how you started focusing more on music and, like, kind of just talk me through, like, what got you from, you know, whatever that point is to like majoring in music? 
Yeah. So, you know, my family was musical growing up. Nobody was a professional musician, but my mom uh, almost went to school to be a, a flutist. And cool. my sister played percussion the whole time we grew up. And my brother was a jazz guitarist. Um, but the, a lot of the credit kind of goes to my brother. Um, he was kind of a hipster in a way. Um, he worked like How a video much store. older than you? About four and a half years. Okay. Um, and so he was, he obviously, like, when if I was 10, he was 14, so on. Yeah. And so he kind of was that next evolution yeah. as a human being right. higher than me. He was never in, like, the same school as you. Right, yeah. the same point in life, yeah. right? right. Um, and so he would always have these influences. And obviously, being a little brother, you always look up and are like, what's this about? And so yeah. he had very um, kind of esoteric taste. Um, and so, like, I remember being in, in middle school, and I was only new classical violin at the time, and he had given me a lead sheet for the autumn leaves and I didn't know how to play it and I didn't know what to do. So I didn't pursue it. But one of my first jazz records I ever heard was like Miles Davis's my funny Valentine, yeah. um, from the live at the Philharmonic and all. Yeah. And it's super heavy. And then like one of the next records he showed me was like a Paco de Lucia flamenco record. And cool. it was just very eclectic and very not the typical thing. Um, and I think also living in, in Georgia, there's like, um, a, a big influence on the blues and things like that. And yeah. he was way into to very rootsy blues music. Cool. And so it was like being exposed to this deep tradition of various genres yeah. um, was really appealing to me. Um, and so I, I would listen to music my friends listen to, but I, I would also be listening to like weird, like there's the New Orleans drummer Stanton Moore. And I yeah. remember like being obsessed with one of his records throughout yeah. high school. And um, yeah, his song, um, poison pushy yes i've listened yeah. to it so many times yes yeah <laughs> i've listened to it like a hundred times it's very good <laughs> like if there's a definition of pocket like yeah it's that well it so it, i think my i i didn't know i wanted to do music for a living yeah um probably until my sophomore year of my undergrad which is hilarious okay. because i decided to go to school for music yeah. Um, no, I mean, I, I hear similar things from people all the time and it, it, they like start it and they're still just like looking at their art degree. Like, mm, I don't know. Well, I don't even know if it was <laughs> conscious on that front for yeah. me so much as it was just like, I just was unaware of what the future was. I didn't care. I was very present about sure, right now. I want to create kind of music. one step forward. Sure. Exactly. Sure, sure. So, uh, yeah, I guess my introduction to, to wanting to kind of pursue music more really didn't come from violin, which is why I don't play violin anymore. Yeah. But I picked up bass guitar. And I, I think the reason I picked that up was because my brother played guitar. Right. He was four and a half years together. older. Yeah. Exactly. I couldn't sure. play guitar more than or better than yeah. him, logically. Um, and but we did could, play together. You could do it. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and how old were you when you started playing bass guitar? I had one when I was in fifth grade that okay. I bought at Media Center, that old place. Um, it was in a package with an amplifier. It was like a hundred bucks total. <laughs> Oh, um, that's probably, yeah, bad. Uh, silver really tone, bad. that's what it was. Um, Especially like, yeah, I'm sure that was not, not great sounds. No, and, yeah. and I promptly stopped playing it um, yeah. <laughs> and then didn't have interest in playing bass again until I was in high school. You stopped playing it because it sounded terrible? I just I lost interest in it. Oh. I think I was, at the time I was just starting violin lessons and everything. And I see. I think yeah. I was devoting more time to that and... I, then I like discovered video games. So then, you know, as a yeah. little boy, I was like, that's fun. I, but, and you were never serious about violin. It was just like, this is a thing I do. I yeah. want to be kind of good at it. I mm -hmm. like the sounds. You like music, but not specifically violin. Yeah. It was, right? I think 
it was a long-term realization that I loved music. I loved the expression of music, yeah. but I loved expressing myself and the avenues available to me, at least at the time through violin weren't particularly creative on my end. And, and I ended up buying an electric violin and playing with my friends Cool. And we would play, you know, like while my guitar gently weeps. And that was some of the most fun I had playing violin Cool, in like middle school. Yeah. yeah. In high school, a little bit, too. Okay. Um, and so when I started playing electric bass, I so I dropped it when I was then. And then I picked it back up when I was like 15 in high school, some, okay. something like that. And uh, I remember my brother gave me a bunch of these tab books of like Jaco Pistorius and Victor Wooten, like right. music way harder than any yeah. beginner should look at. Right. But I remember just like going Trying. very slowly yeah. taking note by note because it, it's just really amazing music and i was just like i'm, I'm gonna figure this out um and i think that kind of prompted the idea of that was the first opportunity i had where my songwriting that i was doing with the poems and the chord symbols yeah met with me actually performing it right because i could like go to my friends now i played now. bass yeah and sure. i could actually put things together you and, were like you still have to add the nine yeah, but yeah i've yeah. got the a. learn about the nines yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of like the first opportunity for me to marry my love for music with expression. And that was the thing sure. I was coming to terms with that I think in my undergrad, that's, I started playing in the jazz band at school. Yeah. And when I finally started improvising, that was just like, oh, okay, yeah. I think that's a really interesting thing that you just said of like, you kind of, there was at this point a separation between like this self-expression mm -hmm. that was really valuable and a love of music. Yeah. I feel that that is profound. I think I feel sort of the same way. Like for me, mm -hmm. creativity doesn't need to live in music. I love yeah. music, but my creativity feels to me like that feels like the stronger thing. Mm -hmm. And I feel lucky that I had the right kind of resources to put those things together. Yeah, yeah. But does that feel significant to you that those were like separate yeah. Um, pursuits. Absolutely. Um, I mean, cause I was always trying to find a way to bring them together because I knew I loved both and creativity was truly my goal. It still is my goal above all else. Yeah. Um, creating something. And um, music is the preferred medium. Yeah, exactly. It's the medium. I feel like I can manipulate and control the most to do what I'm trying to say, yeah. um, or let it just happen. You know, I have the most experience and yeah. The improvisation, obviously, that it's adds the language this, that yes. um, feels intuitive. Yes, yeah. yes, definitely. Um, that makes sense. So you started improvising when you were like in high school? Yeah. And, you know, nothing crazy. And, and part of that, too, was the idea of songwriting and composition, too. I remember like trying to write a string quartet, not knowing anything about anything. And I would just like on a piece of like lined notebook paper, make staves yeah, and just yeah. like write what I thought would sound good. I did that too. Um, yeah. And then you go back and yeah. play it and be like, that's not very good. Yeah. Or you show a teacher and they'd be like, well, mm. that's not. Yeah. The stem goes <laughs> on the other some side. Problems, buddy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like the sharps and flats are all like weird looking. And You know, I love hearing jazz musicians like this is this is maybe just something kind of particular. Mm -hmm. I love hearing jazz musicians talk about that improvising was something that was built in for them. Mm. I don't feel that way at all. Like, as I've said, yeah, yeah. Um, I went into jazz. Like, I remember specifically hearing my first couple of jazz records mm -hmm. when I was like 16, 17 yeah. and feeling really moved. I felt very moved by kind of the exploratory nature of the yes, music. Yeah, sure. Some of the stuff, some of the things we were talking about earlier with just like how it um, it has rules and then you break the rules. Like mm -hmm. I feel really moved by that, but like, I wish I could plan to break rules. Mm. Um, improvising is like deeply out of my comfort zone. <laughs> um, so I love, I, I mean, I'm just saying it's a fully selfish thing for me to say. There's no question involved. Maybe, maybe I have one. Um, but just that, like, I think, I think it's a beautiful thing to think about finding like, um, 
a thing to work on that like feels natural for you. Like that's just, um, I guess maybe if I have a question, it's Mm -hmm. do you like as an educator now, like, do you feel like you can tell the difference between students who are like you and students who are like me? Uh, yes and no. Um, do you like think about it? Uh, so yes, I definitely think about it. Um, the thing for me is I, I, it's, I guess it's a two pronged answer. The first prong is I try to teach in as varied of a way that it, it wouldn't matter. Sure. Um, as, as any educator as you should. Ho- yeah. would hopefully, hopefully do, but a lot. No. Uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other side of it though is, um, I think I try to let students use whatever their methodology, their MO is sure. to apply. So like I, everything I teach, I try to start incredibly fundamental. Um, in, in which case, like, cause that's the way I think allows you to reconcile with that right. as a musician. So like, that's um, great. my improv class, the first lecture is what is important in improvisation. And it's yeah. a survey of answers. My friends submitted who hired people for gigs. Now like, these are what we listen for. I would love to see that. It's, it's really, I'm, it's not the things anyone expects. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, a lot of it's about sound and time. And so yeah. we talk about the importance of developing your sense of sound, your sense of time yeah. and the avenue in which you, you explore that is up to you. But I, I, I like, I guess I hesitate, but, um, I feel at least in music school, I should say, yeah. um, we don't put enough emphasis on the idea of actually connecting with our music so much as, uh, accomplishing our music. Right. And so one of the things I did in my undergrad, I would practice, you know, I was a classical viola major for two years, yeah. which was the weird transition from violin okay. to bass. And, yeah. um, so you weren't really playing upright bass in high school. No, I right? didn't play upright bass until effectively my junior year of high, That's uh, undergrad. Crazy. Um, so this is, uh, I guess one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, uh, eight years on upright about. That's insane. Um, That's crazy. You're really good at it. I appreciate that. <laughs> it's been a wild journey. Um, yeah, yeah that, yeah. Wow. Oh, but I want to hear what you were saying. You were going to say something about how we accomplish oh, our music yeah. instead of, yeah. So, you know, you need to practice with goals. We need to be structured in certain yeah. amount to our practice, but I think it's really important for us to have practice that's unstructured. And yeah. I remember at the time I would do this on, on whatever instrument yeah. I had in front of me. And it'd be the idea of like, uh, I, how do I feel today is how it usually started. It was like, yeah. today I'm like a little melancholy. And so yeah. I'd be like, I want to play something melancholy. And it yeah. started by just finding music that felt melancholy. You know how we yeah. all like find albums and it's like, ah, oh, this is the album for today. Yeah. It's the mood. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, I want to create that. And it slowly became um, an improvisational exercise. Sure. Or said, I want to play something that embodies melancholy. Yeah. And it makes you really actively think about what it is you're playing and the theory of it and connecting that into expression. Yeah. And I think that's so valuable for students um, of any genre totally. or, or anything. Um, and so freeform practice became a really important part of my routine yeah. where probably arguably I learned the most about anything. And yeah. it's influenced my improvisation yeah. above all else. You know, that. what is yeah. a C above a C major chord in this octave sound like versus this octave yeah. versus a D yeah. You know, what, what does that make me feel like? And sure. I, I really remember spending a lot of time exploring that. And I, I credit the singer songwriter part of my, yeah, that's really interesting. That. Yeah. I haven't ever quite thought about this before, but yeah, I think when I listened to jazz records as a teen and I mm-hmm. didn't have teachers who knew yeah. anything about it, I was like in choir and listening to jazz yeah, in yeah. my bedroom. Um, 
I think I felt that expression, that mm-hmm. like kind of the evocativeness of it. Yeah, yeah, like that. That really. How did how did you say like we accomplish our music versus express it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was hearing all of that expression, and I think. I was not at all prepared to go to jazz school sure. and have it feel like accomplishment was a thing. Mm. And I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm honestly only now starting to kind of like really um, work that stuff out. Yeah. But I think for me, some of that is like, I think it sounds like you had more supportive people in your teens <laughs> than I had. So well, I, I, that's I, I do thing. think you have to surround yourself with people that are going to help with that journey yeah. you know yeah. it's like for instance when i was learning violin i hated the suzuki method i, yeah. ha- I still hate it um because i, I the, my friends who were endorsing it and, and pr- playing on it um it, i don't know it just never felt like they it, they would play it perfectly and it didn't feel like anything hmm. but um and part of this is being in georgia but like i would go with my brother and we'd see like a blues artist or yeah. something really deep culture never took a lesson right yeah. these musicians a lot of them right but it's this huge tradition and there's like a weight to that. And it's like, there's quote unquote mistakes, but it, it felt much more embodied something. Totally. Um, and so I would always, it, it, maybe it was luck. I was just always surrounded by musicians who seemed to help my violin teacher being a huge proponent. But then, um, in my undergrad, I met a couple local jazz musicians and, and I remember one of them pulled me aside after, uh, like a jam session. He's like, we played a blues, like an F blues. And he was like, look, man, you're, you're playing all the right notes, um, but it doesn't sound like the blues. And he like gave me anything, a story that's yeah. maybe, uh, I won't repeat, uh, about what the beat should feel like. Yeah. Um, it was an adult <laughs> metaphor, but he got the point across. Um, <laughs> but I those remember kinds it. Of things, you told it to me before. Yes, yeah. I've it's, heard this one. <laughs> the, the kind of the abstract mentality to me, yeah. I always gravitated towards because... When you get something concrete, you can only do a concrete thing. If you get something abstract, you can still do a concrete thing, but you can also do an abstract thing. I feel very like radical acceptance about these things. And again, like as, as many, you know, beautiful creative people as I, as I have the opportunity to interview, Mm -hmm. I love talking to people who, you know, like I interviewed Melissa Heath Mm -hmm, and um, our colleague, and she talked a lot about like, loving technique and feeling like Mm. really, really creative about that. You know, and I've interviewed people who are like, you know, ballerinas, Mm. um, where like the, you know, I just, I I think my point is like, I find it such a, I find it such a lovely thought that like some of us just really are suited for like abstract Mm -hmm. sort of, you know, um, blurry boundaries. Yeah. Some of us are really well suited for, and it doesn't mean it has to be a binary. I mean, I think like as a, person i'm really well suited for like tight boundaries and tight rules sure but as a creative it's like the opposite yeah i really like stuff that is very like what is it yeah there's no answer (laughs) um like i'm moved by i'm not moved by the same stuff that i'm like good at Mm. (laughs) which i think for me in my own life like gives me a really like meaningful experience as i try to like find the places where those where what i'm moved by and what i'm good at can like yeah. Well, I, I think move together. I think the end goal is, is depth. Right. Yeah. And, and I think to achieve depth in anything, it's, it's just either, um, creativity followed by technique or technique followed by creativity. Right. And I think we all kind of find the, the way. So for me, like my, the only reason I ever spent time developing technique, things like the, that 
was to get greater freedom for right. my creativity. Your storytelling was limited exactly. by your lack of technique. And yeah. I know other musicians who uh, spent more time working on uh, technique so that uh, rather their creativity sure. so yeah, they yeah. could get like what better am I going to do with technique. this technique and they'd yeah. be like this vibrato would mean this and this yeah. vibrato would mean this whereas right. for me it was like this isn't the you right vibrato you kind of have vibrato. to like backdoor it from your perspective and exactly. from their perspective yes exactly we're taking the back door it's, it's yeah. which one comes first in, in your cognitive process right you know yeah I, I, I find it interesting that like we choose our professions at like the age of 18 because like (laughs) these things so don't happen. Like, you know, and and I find it really interesting too, as a, as an adult teaching people who are right in that age Mm -hmm. group to see who's doing what, when, Yeah, you know, I, I try to have like a pretty, pretty, I try to assume that all of my students are like somewhere in the middle of that. Yeah. 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 You know, and like some of those middles are easier. Like some of those middles are more appropriate for college. Yeah. But it just is what it is. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I think I'm a person who like did really well in college because I'm really good at rules. Sure. You know, and those, those are the kinds of things you need for college. Sure. Um, (laughs) But like that kind of like deeper, like really embodied kind of stuff. Mm. Like I think I'm, I'm in that stuff's intuitive for me in some way, but I will really easily be like, I can do rules instead. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. I'll do sure. rules. Um, and like in, you know, the decade, I mean, I've been out of college for eight years now and I, as long as you've been playing the bass, <laughs> what? Um, <laughs> sorry, what? Um, and yeah, I feel like I, I feel like now I, I feel much more balanced. Sure. In this things well i think it's it's something we have to come to terms with is like do you make the rules work for you do you work for the rules and and we all inevitably do both yeah and it's which one did you start with right and so like even going back to like college um i i ended up doing a bachelor of arts because i found out like halfway through i was like i don't want to do that i don't want to do that i want to do that i want to do that yeah and they're like that's not a degree and i'm like can i do how can i make a degree and i had like a lot of meetings (laughs) with like my advisor that's again that permission thing you're like i i'm gonna do do this i need to do it yeah (laughs) um i mean i didn't even i i yeah well i ended up in basically inventing a degree plan and it got enough people to be on board that it worked out um and then, you know, it, it, it was by my master's that I really realized what I wanted to do because I, I wasn't pursuing jazz full time, even though I knew I kind of wanted to. I yeah. didn't know a lot about jazz. I knew enough. Yeah. Um, but you were focusing on upright by now? At that point, yeah. But I was okay. I was pursuing a classical undergrad okay. degree. So okay. I, I played classical bass. Um, I hesitate to claim that now um, because it's been so long. Our perspective. <laughs> I mean, that's like... I got, you know, an A in like my bebop improv class, but like, I don't know how to do that anymore. <laughs> like well, you know, that you, was a long time you ago. You find the things you yeah. grab onto. And <laughs> I knew I wasn't going to play like bodice unique concertos. And yeah. There are other people who will do it better justice. So I'll devote time to other things. Sure. And that's okay. <laughs> so, yeah. So as right as you were finishing your bachelor's degree, you knew you liked jazz. And then, yeah, yeah I would, I interrupted you, but will you tell the story of how you like decided to yeah. What to do for your master's. Um, so, you know, I was looking at the end of my undergrad and I knew I loved jazz. I knew I wanted to do jazz. In hindsight, I should have gone to my undergrad for jazz on bass. I just didn't think yeah, of it. You just didn't know that that was even a thing. Yeah. I mean, I was just so much more adept at violin that it was the logical choice. And then I immediately ended up switching to viola. So it was kind of fruitless anyways. Yeah. Um, but I had a teacher who... Um, who kind of took me under his wing, our, our jazz professor there. And and he had gone to the university of Northern Colorado and all the faculty there 
that run that program, um, at least at the time, were all um, rhythm section people. Mm-hmm. And he's like, look, if you want to go to a school where you're going to get a lot better at pl- being a rhythm section player, go here. Yeah. Literally all of your teachers are rhythm section players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, awesome. great, I'll great. apply. And so I did, and it, it worked out. And funny, th- they gave me a TA, which is hilarious in hindsight. Um, it yeah. worked out, but <laughs> my knowledge level was really interesting. Because yeah. through my undergrad, I effectively invented how to, I was playing jazz. I yeah. was listening to records, and right. I was in ensembles. Yeah. I, no one was like, this is how you play bebop, but it was yeah. like, I, I kind of made my own rationalization, yeah. you know, and it was this whole thing. Did you but. feel like scared when you started your master's? No, you know, That's I've never really felt have. scared in music. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't, I hardly ever get nervous surrounding music. So this is another thing that drives my mom crazy about me. Um, yeah. Being a very type A and a Jewish mother, she, yeah. she worries <laughs> um, as they do. Um, and I really don't. hardly worry. Um, I don't know why. I mean, my, 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 my answer is always that, uh, I can only prepare as much as I can prepare. And I, I've always accepted I've prepared this much, whether it's enough or not. Like even, I mean, I'm not arguing with you. I just want you to articulate it because I think it's worth, Mm -hmm. it's worth articulating even like getting a TA ship Mm -hmm. and feeling like I don't really know how to play jazz, but here I have this TA ship. You didn't feel any like, you weren't worried. You weren't worried no. about that. You just felt like know. they gave it to me. And so. Well, I assumed, first of all, that they must have seen something. Yeah. So I, I trusted, just trusted that. trusted it. Yeah. And. Uh, no imposter syndrome happening. Not really. I mean, uh, maybe vaguely always, um, yeah. as uh, any creative person can attest to. Um, yeah. Maybe vaguely always. Vaguely always. always. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, but it was kind of this sense of like, I'll figure it out. Yeah. Like, you know, that idea of like, oh, that's a problem for, for David Future tomorrow. Me. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I live by that in a sense. Yeah. Do or, what about like your peers? Cause they didn't choose you for it. Were you worried no. that they would be well, weirded out about it? No. I mean, I figured there was enough students there. I figured I'd be in an ensemble that made sense. So whatever happened, happened. And yeah. it ended up being a, a great uh, first ensemble at that school that really cool. cultivated a lot. That's great. You just kind of are a wholehearted person. I naturally. like dive into things. Yeah, um, you kind of just live without fear. Yeah. And, and, you know, I was lucky that first year too. I had a, uh, there was an, a new guitar player who came in, uh, and he's teaching at, uh, Western Michigan now and he's brilliant. Um, just like we're a very smart musician and, uh, he was miles more of a jazz musician, um, yeah. than I was, especially at that time. And, um, we just like hit it off as yeah. people. Yeah. And so we would hang out a bunch and, he would kind of explain how he thought about things and we yeah. practiced together. Cool. And I, I, I guess maybe that's what it was, was. It was less that I was afraid that I wouldn't live up to a thing, but it was more that I was excited to be in a scenario where I would learn from other people. I felt exactly like that when I started at UNT. Yeah. Like I remember my first couple of weeks just being like, I am so in over my head, <laughs> but like, I'm so excited about it. Yeah. Like I like, the th- the people that are here that are over my mm-hmm. head are so cool. Like it's, <laughs> there's never been a better environment yes. to be in over my head. It's it's kind of I think it's the 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 sadism that comes with being a professional creative person is wanting to get oh your butt God, kicked yeah. by people who can teach you. And uh-huh. mind you, you know you develop your philosophies. Like I'm a, a proponent of not being a jerk about it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's something that I feel like I think about this as now mm-hmm. like all the time you know 
feeling like having kind of grace in the situation yes. where you're the win one in over your yeah. head and when you're partnered with someone who's in over their head yeah and really finding the like creative joy on either side of that and mm-hmm. the kind of like rich potential um that comes along with being on either side of yeah. that that's that's really important to me as like a, an adult a absolutely creative now yeah i mean i I always think back, I, I, you know, I've always been fascinated, obviously, with with different writing, but especially biographies, I find really fascinating about certain people, especially autobiographies. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was reading one on... This is an autobiography, you know, like... It's, yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I feel the same way. Um, Hearing people talk about their own processes, like, yeah. what's better? I, I read Milt Hinton's, all right, uh, amazing bass player. Um, it was for a uh, presentation I was doing, and I was reading this. It ended up not being able to use too much from it, unfortunately. But there's this great anecdote in there where uh, Milt Hinton played with Duke Ellington's band one time in his career. Cool. And it was because the bass at the time was either Wellman Bro or it was some, whoever it was at the time uh, got in a car wreck on the way to the gig. Oh, my gosh. And couldn't make it. Um, they were fine. They like broke a leg or something. Yeah. And so Milt Hinton, not a hand for the right, listener. Right. They're fine. They broke a leg. It'll he make means it work. their arms and hands are fine. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, playable <laughs> conditions. Um, <laughs> everyone's like that breaking a leg isn't fine. Like, it's for a musician. Finger, it's fine. The wrists and the fingers are fine. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so Milt was with the union and he gets the call. Um, and they're like, Hey, Duke needs you. And he's like, great. Duke needs me. I'll be there. And so he shows up and he's there. It's not long before the show. Uh, there's no book because Duke's band memorized their right. books. Um, and so he's like, that's a problem. So he asked yeah. like, was there a book? And they're like, no. And the, but everyone was like, like, you'll hear, you'll be fine. Yeah. And I think this is a, that's a, this trend I, I see that's, it may be why I don't feel nervous or scared is like, mm-hmm. I feel like that's an energy I, no matter how someone puts that up, across, but they're like, you'll yeah. be fine. So yeah. he leans over to the drummer goes, what keys the song? And he goes, G and he goes, okay. And then he looks over at the, the third trombone who's sitting ne- right in front of him. And he goes, Hey, what keys this got this tune? And he, he says something like F and so, yeah. <laughs> and that's all he would have to go by. Yeah. And then at that point in time, Duke Ellington was walking out on stage and then he starts playing the tune and then they go and he plays the whole set. And he says it was like a miracle. Like he made it through the set. It wasn't a complete train wreck, all of these yeah. things. And afterwards Duke was like, you did great. Yeah. And he, you know, no, no idea what the songs were. No yeah. idea. Anything yeah. about the tunes. Wow. Um, and that was his one experience with Duke Ellington. And so I always think back about like those kinds of moments. Yeah. And like we've all been in situations like probably your first combo at like a vocal group at UNT where it's like these people know more than me. Yeah. I don't know what's happening. Yeah. Am I doing this right? Yeah. And I think it's it's the way you deal with that situation. Is it, do I cower from yeah. that or do I just go, well, that'll be fun. And yeah. I think that's kind of goes back to that idea of embracing um, something that's totally arbitrary, yes. something that's totally just absurd. Yeah. Um, well, and, yeah. And furthermore, like it is, I, this is something I wish I could tell people all the time. Cause like if, if there's one kind of like, um, feedback that I get mm-hmm. a lot. It's like, you know, people will say like, well, you're so productive. Like you do a lot of things. Mm. That's like the, that's like, if there's one thing that like people like know about me, it's probably that, but you know, there's nothing miraculous about it. Like the reason that I am productive is, is it's just that thing. Like mm-hmm. when I am looking at a new project that I'm like, I have no idea how to do this. Yeah, It's just like, well, here I go. Right. You know, that's the right. only reason that's like, that mm-hmm. is like, I mean, the planning is also part of it. Sure. 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 I guess. 
but mostly it's like yeah like having my first rehearsal mm-hmm. where i'm in singers one at north mm-hmm. texas and the the year that i started in that group i was the only person from my like i was a f- kind of first person from my year to like bump up oh there. yeah okay um and yeah i just felt like grateful yeah like genuinely right. i just felt like maybe the wool was over someone's eyes in this audition <laughs> process but like i'm here and i'm gonna work really hard and yeah. i'm like really really happy to be here yeah absolutely uh it's it's kind of this thing i think that's the 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 trait i see as a commonality with professional artists yeah is that embrace of of the unknown yeah um and people deal with that in different ways but it's kind of the idea of like you know i don't know any professional artist that doesn't do a thousand things yeah i've hardly ever unless it's the top tier of a very specific thing no one's like i play you know, uh, uh, whatever. And that's all I do. Yeah. It's like that never happens anymore. But I I think the idea of, um, collecting, uh, characteristics, collecting traits, collecting skills is, is really attractive to creative people because then you can be involved in so much more. And it's, um, I think we love to, to, I I think we love processes. Yeah. And so if we can be involved in the whole process, it's, it's all the more. Totally. um, And people think we love products. Like people think we love like being done with the thing doing the thing and like yeah i think the vast majority of Mm -hmm. like people who make creativity like a significant part of their adulthood Mm -hmm. love the doing yes i mean for me and and i don't know if you can relate to this or not but when i finish a product i'm already thinking about the next well yeah i was just gonna say like i was done i was talking about this with Kristen bromley who teaches guitar at byu and she's Mm -hmm. awesome like you i'm sure you'll play with her at some point Mm -hmm. if i will make it happen (laughs) i will hire both of you for the same gig um but uh we were talking about this and she's very similar Mm. um and we were talking about how like we try to always be like at the beginning of a project in the middle of a project and at the end of a project because there are really exciting things about Mm -hmm. like each of those times and yeah you're never because the middle is the part of the project where you're like Uh, yeah right 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 but the beginning is really exciting and the end is really exciting Mm -hmm. and if you have beginnings and ends going anytime you also have a middle it's always rewarding keep yeah it will keep you like always moving through absolutely i fully relate to that as well yeah and then a couple times a year i'm like i have too many projects yeah just a few times a year i'm like (laughs) what have i done i i think it's it's thing i look back when i was doing my doctorate um i was recording a lot and i was doing a lot at school obviously and doing the ta thing but i was also gigging full time and i remember it was like that that, that exact realization of yeah. like i'm doing this i'm excited yeah. doing this and it was like sometime in like february and it was like two in the morning i'm driving home from a gig and i realized for like the last two weeks i'd only slept like eight hours and i was like huh i might be too busy I, i've maybe yeah. turned down a couple things it's hard <laughs> when you really like it but like for yeah. me like i'll be the balance will be perfect and i'm like i'm so busy and it's like such yeah, yeah. A, and it's not in like a you know i think people misinterpret that as like some kind of like uh valuing anxiety as a lifestyle or something and it's it's (laughs) not it's just like i'm having so much fun Mm -hmm. but then like you get a cold oh yeah yeah like like, i am like i have programmed myself to like the peak yes yeah or someone's like want to get lunch and you're like "Eh, no yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) in two months maybe right um yeah I think, you know, we embrace these projects so wholeheartedly and it's, it's a thing, um, at times, you know, not always, but at times when I talk to, I have some, like those two best friends I mentioned earlier, 
Um, one of them went off to school to be an engineer. He's a very creative person as well. But like when he leaves work, he leaves work. He doesn't really yeah. bring that home. Yeah. Whereas like in, in the creative fields, uh, it's always happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't mm-hmm. tell you a moment mm-hmm. where I wasn't thinking about a project or something. Hardcore. Amen. Like I was at the grocery store last night and like, I mean, I mean, I'm working on a new album and I like to be really, really involved in the visuals and mm, like yeah. make them really like important. Absolutely. Like I think of it as like a mixed media project. And because I'm in like a visual, like a lot of my like to-do list items for this week mm-hmm. are like, I notice like I'm looking, I'm at the grocery store and I'm like looking at fonts and I'm like yeah, looking sure. at uh-huh. color schemes. And yeah. It, yeah. Like when you say like, it's <laughs> never off. Like, I don't think people understand yeah. how much we mean. It's never. I, if someone saw my phone's notepad and voice memos, the they would think I'm an insane person. Like these yeah. terrible, like humming while I'm driving. <laughs> and then I go, no, that's not it. Well, I'm always <laughs> screenshotting things that like are mm. interesting to me yeah. in some way. And sometimes when I'm looking through them later, I can't tell if I screenshotted it because of like a caption yeah. or because of the visual Like, and I'm looking at it and like, it'll take me a while to be like, oh, I think I just like this one line. Like there's like something really specific that I like. It's, it's, I think in, in the creative fields, uh, like evocation is really important. Right. And so if something evokes anything in in us, it, we grab onto it for dear life and we're like, that's save it. And so that's like my notepads. It's like so many of them are just one word where I'm like, that word is beautiful. Yeah. That's the word. It means that like is hitting me some kind of way right now. And the same thing. Like if I see something that is really evocative, I think we all gravitate to that because it's, it's like the most profound usage of whatever that is. Right. right? And it's right. I think I'm going to remember that. Exactly. We want our products to, to have that kind of evocation. It's so bizarre. It's such a weird thing. Yeah. (laughs) I like it so much though. Yeah. Um, okay. We've talked about so many great things. What do you want to say about like from, you know, your masters until now in Mm -hmm. terms of like what you've done? Like, do, what do you want to, what do you want people to know? Um, I don't know. I, I, Kind of like I said, when a project's done, I try to let it be done. So I, I'm, I'm very forward thinking. Yeah. Um, I really don't look back at things very much. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think the thing I'm, I guess I'm most excited about right now is this new singer-songwriter project. Um, yeah. Because there's songs on there that I first wrote in 2014. Um, and so it's been six years and I've, they've cool. entirely transformed. Awesome. Um, and I'm embracing, you know, new mediums with it and uh, it's going to be a really fun thing to do. Um, yeah. And, you know, I've got all these plans for, for some new jazz records and things yeah. like that. And you're doing a ton of creative stuff just thinking about the new degree that you're kind yes, of in charge of. Yes, right. Yeah. Yes. That's huge. There's, there's a lot. Yeah. Figuring out what that's going to look like and, and what changes to implement. Yeah. And, and what, I, I mm-hmm. assume you're thinking of it like you're building like the nest that you're going to live in. I hope so. I mean, yeah. that's my plan is, is I want to establish something I, just like any project that we do. It's, it's embarking on creating something we're proud of and that we want to, you know, like everything we, we create is a part of ourselves, but yeah. also feels in some way like home. Yeah. And so obviously this is very clearly an extension of that thought where yeah. every change that I make here, um, every progress or, or regress, whatever happens, um, yeah is kind of with the intent of creating home, creating something, creating something that you want to live in. Exactly. hundred percent. Exactly. And just like our creative projects, you know, 
Um, There's no, yeah. I feel like I hardly ever f- experience a separation between like all those different types of creative right. projects, like the ones that are more academic, the ones that mm-hmm. are like the visuals, the right. ones that are the music. They're all kind of, I'm just trying to make stuff that I want to like work on. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, you know, I think it takes us time to embrace that. Um, yes. And I feel at least in my trajectory, I was it's kind of fortunate to have some projects early on that helped spawn that. And so like I had that garage band in yeah. high school, but we, every summer we would meet up through my undergrad and we did that album in my friend's basement. Yeah. So he was working during the day. Um, and I would spend all day practicing and getting ready. Um, and then he would get off work at like 8 PM. I drive over to his place oh and gosh. we'd spend the entire night yeah. recording and tracking. Yeah. His mom would sleep with earplugs in the dog would come downstairs and check on us like what are you guys doing away and took us like four years we didn't know what we were doing i love that and then like in in my master's degree um my sophomore year we had um it was the second combo at at unc and we just were all became really close friends really quickly and we recorded an album and we all became a thing and then from that we created a piano trio Cool. With with um our drummer Alex and then our okay. um or drummer Jamie rather and pianist Alex okay. yeah um and we decided like we wanted to do so basically this is a philosophy I tell my students all the time yeah. is if the phone's not ringing don't wait for it to ring yes pick it up and call someone yeah and so yeah. make it ring or be the one calling someone yeah. else and and so we decided we were gigging you know and subbing mostly because the scenes anywhere yeah. are already established and we were like we want to do more so we book tours we just like we're gonna make a tour and we'll make a book we'll make it happen that was a huge learning experience and led to all sorts of things after that that's great um fantastic still kind of working that trio vaguely it's modified a little bit but yeah yeah well and i'm sure when the pandemic is over it'll kind of it'll modify more right right keep happening that's great um so again the podcast is called artifice Mm -hmm. um and i i I always say like i partly just think it's a cool word and it has art at the beginning but also i i really really believe that like we as artists are kind of whether or not we mean to we're tapping into like these kind of really human things that are maybe a little bizarre and that maybe we don't always talk about is there anything else you want to like you know say about like what you think is interesting about what artists are doing or what you think people might not guess about what you're doing or yeah, not doing or yeah sure um I, I guess there's kind of two thoughts kind of continuing from our our pre-podcast yeah. discussion we had brunch we had brunch <laughs> uh it was lovely um I think the role of identity is really important in art yeah. and, and it doesn't necessarily mean you're always expressing yourself but you're expressing identity yeah um and I think whether you realize it or not, and especially when I was younger, I didn't realize this, but it, it was happening. And then I realized as I got older, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're expressing your identity and others' identities right. always. Right. Um, and so I think creating uh, a way for you to feel responsible for that is really important mm. as a musician. Please say more. Yeah. Uh, so, for instance, you have to do a lot of thinking which sounds so obvious but so many of us don't really think fully about those concepts so you should really have a good sense of self in in all boundaries of self will you give an example of how you might express another person's identity yes so uh i I can think about this in a couple ways um i'll I'll start on the 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 vaguer side of things um 
expressing an emotion that is alien to yourself. You know, as performers, first of all, we're always acting, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Regardless, uh, yes. you have to embody what the music requires of you, right. meaning the music has an identity too. Right. And so you have to reconcile with what is that identity and how do I portray that? How do right. I do it justice? And especially when you start getting into music that comes from tradition. So as a jazz musician, especially today, you have to be very cognizant of where does this music come from? What right. does it mean? Right. Um, you know, especially we, the word appropriation gets thrown around right. a lot these days. And, and obviously we never want to appropriate something, but rather honor it. Yeah. And so I think it, you have to be responsible in how yeah. you approach that. Having knowledge Genuine. about who mm -hmm. wrote it, where does it come from, right. what language it, like what's the, mm -hmm. do people know I don't mean English? Like what's the, <laughs> what's the oh, yeah, like yeah. language? M musical uh, language. Yeah. Yeah. The, the style, I guess, yeah. the idiom, yeah. idiom, uh, syncrasies of a, a genre. Right. Um, yeah. But then it kind of goes beyond that because we need to express ourselves genuinely. Yeah. And so, you know, the things I found for myself was I gravitate towards certain emotions, certain feelings, things like that, because there are ways I can express with more uh, within, within a more genuine nature. Yeah. Um, which is fine. You know, over time you accept that. Like I realized um, I love the blues. Yeah. When I play jazz, I use a lot of blues language, but it's a part of my identity because of. I surrounded myself with people who it was their identity. Right. Um, so that you can think in those terms. Um, but then you can also think about um, uh, expressing your uh, someone else's identity, for instance, like p playing a role if we go with yeah. the acting analogy. Yeah. And so maybe I am playing, let's say, for instance, I'm playing bass and this tune requires like a Ron Carter vibe. Yeah. I have to embody that. And yeah. that requires all sorts of responsibility yeah. there. But it also, not just technical, not just musical, it, it requires feeling. It requires yeah. an understanding of where that person comes from, yeah. their background, their, yeah. their intent. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's kind of the exploration there. Yeah. And the idea is getting our own depth with that. That's right. kind of the last step is, um, you know, we were talking about this earlier, but like, what are my ethics? What are my yeah. morals? Have I really thought that through? Mm -hmm. And how does that influence my music? Yeah. Um, you know, my, my dissertation research obviously made me ask a lot of questions about myself Yeah. for, for you guys listening. It's, it's crazy. Uh, <laughs> Talk about it as much as you want. It's, it's, your... um, it's, it's about basically the intersection of jazz and religion. And I, I am arguing that New Orleans created an ecosystem, moral ecosystem that allowed jazz to function as a religion, yeah. which you can trace to today through, yeah. you know, various avenues. And so it gets kind of complicated and obviously identity is a huge part of that. Yeah. And so I guess the basis of that research came from me learning about early jazz, learning about New Orleans. And it was partly from my own edification. Yeah, right. So I could express jazz yeah. more accurately. But it also was, I, I had a frustration. Yeah. Because identity was becoming an important part of this modern musicology. They're like, you know, this is a huge reason why jazz uh, was born in New Orleans. Right. At least that's, that's our major theory. And um, they would mention these things that were tangentially related to religion or ethics or yeah. morality, but they would never follow through. They'd just be right. like, and this happened. Right. Um, right. And it, or use that to exposit yeah. some other theory. And I, I grew so frustrated because I was like, so if you're talking ha about religion, that yeah. is part of someone's identity. Right. right someone's right. beliefs, their ethics, all of these things. Right. And, and they were describing a culture within jazz that had its own set of ethics, its own set of sense of morality. Right. And so uh, I basically chose to dive into that rabbit hole and I see if it. I could yeah. define that. It really is something that is so interesting about jazz. And it's, you know, 
I know you know this, but like a lot of people think jazz is about the repertoire and it just isn't at all. It's probably lastly about the repertoire. Yeah. Yeah, Like who cares if Cole Porter wrote it? Like it's only jazz if you're thinking. I mean, I never want to be a person who like it's only jazz, but like Mm -hmm. what that means to people who spent time in the genre Mm -hmm. Um, is more of what we're talking about. Like, it's what much are, more about your identity than anything else. Yeah, and, and and yeah, what your identity is as a bass player, even mm-hmm. like, what's yeah. your identity as like uh, the rhythmic underpinning? Like, sure. what's my identity as the carrier of the lyric? What's my mm-hmm. identity as the person who counts off the tune? Well, and the relationships between those identities, right? Right. So, so for instance, um, totally. Uh, you know, as a bass player, my hookup with a drummer is like a really important thing. And this yeah. is a thing when you talk to non-musicians, it gets uh, really hard to explain. Yeah. And you can get scientific about it, but it's not the thing. It's I it, know how people, my beat yeah. aligns and beat yeah. is not tempo. It's not pulse. Right. It's this whole, right. it's a feeling. Um, and so there's this great drummer. If you're in Texas, get this guy a gig. His name's Hiroki Kitazawa. He's amazing. Um, but he and I got to play together a lot in the last two years. And, uh, we got we were in the same house band together so we would play probably roughly two nights a week every week cool and uh we were playing together in school and all these things and uh we started developing like a really interesting hookup and we would record gigs and we drive home and listen yeah, back and discuss yeah, like, our hookup what did you mean right then yeah and developing what, yeah. all right exactly it's it's yeah. It's, it's were you trying to do this or it's was a this, personal relationship yeah. it's just like you know with your significant yeah. significant other you yeah. need to suss those out about you know you hurt my feelings when you did this kind of thing. Right. It's the same conversation we would have together. It'd be like, man, you've let me down. Cause you, you got I to wanted this. you to pick this yeah. up and you didn't. And yeah, what kind it's of that intimate, yeah. I think that's the thing. Yeah. Uh, the, let's say the lay person yeah. often disregards yeah. is the intimacy of, yeah. of your identity and how it relates to other musicians. Well, in that fully, fully present, like moment to moment. Yes. Vulnerability and like adaptability. Yes. That I find that really difficult sometimes um, playing in like the wedding band because oh, sure. I have a third. I mean, and not that we're always playing jazz. And even when we are playing jazz, it's kind of it's a little different. It's not yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not as free as it would be if we were playing in a club. Um, there there are some kind of entertainment sure. parameters we right, stick right. to. It's, yeah. But, you know, the principle of it is. I like for it to be largely the same, but yeah, finding, finding a balance between the part of myself that's supposed to like interface with the planner, Mm -hmm. the part of myself that's supposed to like wrangle the band, you know, um, the part of myself that's supposed to be like the lyric storyteller. Mm -hmm. And then like, I also need to be like a showman kind of, um, and then to kind of think about like each individual person, what mood are each of us in today? What does the room feel like? Um, and w- on good days, like it's mm-hmm. a really beautiful problem yeah. and it makes like, you know, the, this, the kind of thing that could become really repetitive and kind of boring. It mm-hmm. makes it really rich. Um, yeah. if you kind of have the energy for it, Absolutely. which, you know, occasionally I don't. <laughs> right. I mean, you can't occasionally always be I lose yeah. it halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> well, so kind of speaking about that drummer too. Uh, it was a house trio and we'd bring in a fourth musician one of the nights each week. Cool. Same venue, same room. We had regulars, this right. whole thing. Um, we had a book, like we would play outside of the book, but we had a book of like 200 tunes we would roughly call from. And most of them had arrangements we'd cool. inadvertently come up with by cool. just playing yeah. tunes and getting For bored. Ever, yeah. But it was this amazing thing where 
you know, if you describe that gig to like, if I describe that gig to my mom, for instance, who's not a professional musician, but is a musician, she'd be like, that sounds boring. Yeah. Um, she probably wouldn't say that, but as an example, um, whereas we found it so exciting Yeah. because especially because there's an amount of improvisation, which is probably what drew me to jazz anyways. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of an exploration. And that fourth person's energy is. Yeah. Well, like the three of us, ingredient. That, that basic trio, yeah. we knew more about each other by the end of that. You know, I don't know a lot about either of them potentially personally. I mean, I do, but I don't at the same time. But we know each other as musicians probably more intimately yeah. than at least at this point in time, any musician I play with. Cool. And it's this beautiful thing. I could tell what kind of day everyone had right. on the first note, you know, yeah. and it, it would set the tone There's for the whole night. There's a lot night. of sharp elevens tonight. Yeah. You having a good day, buddy? Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it's, you get this hive mind kind of thing because yeah. your identities truly intertwine at that yeah. point and become a singular a shared identity. identity. Exactly. Yeah, I love that. So was the last thing you were going to say, like you were saying, we should think about our ethics with these things. Like yeah. we should have actual practices well, for how to, if, if it's about identity and yeah. ethics and, and, and morality and all these are part of our identity, that means we have musical ethics. We have musical morality. Right. And so, you know, you need to know that about yourself. Yeah. What do you accept and not accept? Um, like for instance if i'm thinking as a bass player part of the relationship is like how far in front of the beat do I, on a swing tune do i want to be from the cymbal and i've established this is as far as i want to go ahead and this yeah. is as far behind and that means you will be incompatible with certain identities yeah and yeah. when you're younger that's hard to accept especially in music school because you're it's you're taught everything is amazing yeah. and need to explore everything yeah and you should that's yeah. what that's for it's yeah. your laboratory yeah. but when you get into the real world that's not how it works. So yeah. there are drummers I don't have a good hookup with. Yeah. I probably won't get called for them and likely I won't call them and yeah. it's okay. Totally. As people we're fine, but it's yeah. that idea of once you've established those moralities, yeah. those ethics, your boundaries you truly. You need to be in those values. Exactly. Yeah, and, and have it's, regular practices for that. It's the way you can feel genuine at any yeah. point in time. So that way, when, like mm-hmm. you say, when you have a night where you don't have that kind of energy, you're still prescribing to the same yeah. principle of self yeah so you're you can still feel that your expression was totally. meaningful yeah i i find that one thing that i find i i almost never lose like i have to be i have to be like physically impaired i have to like have a really sure. bad headache or like be sick or something yeah. before like my ability to want to tell a story as a vocalist goes away yeah like that's the last thing to go Absolutely. like maybe i stop changing the melodies much mm-hmm. you know maybe i I'm not dancing, you know, maybe I'm like some of the showmanship goes away, but like that authentic storytelling is, is, it doesn't leave me easily. Um, and I find that when I'm playing with other people who I really love, who, who know me, Mm -hmm. um, I think they know that, like they know that they can trust me to keep like honoring the lyric and that we can like, yeah. Musical empathy. Totally. Yeah. Um, so kind of, I can, I can relate to that entirely and, and, um, I, I know he would be comfortable with me saying this. So the the guitarist in our trio, yeah. um, his significant other uh, uh, passed away um, in while we had this gig together. Yeah. It was a really kind of horrific situation, um, and so he took about a month off before he came back to the gig, and it was it was slow, obviously. Yeah. Um, but he came back, and our house trio, like obviously musically and you know familiarly too, we knew each other very well, but. Um, I remember that first gig back, um, it was, you know, it's a, it's a bar. No one else knew this scenario. Right. No one else knew this. The, the right. staff did, of course, but in some of the regulars, obviously. But 
The room didn't know that. And as you know, you go into these rooms, they have their life of their own. They're very right. energetic. Right. And so your first instinct is to play to that. But as a trio, we were playing to him. Yeah. You know, we were very musically empathetic. Yeah. And we played the quietest gig. It was a four-hour gig with some yeah. breaks in there. It was, Just I don't tender. know if we ever got above yeah. piano. Our drummer was playing sticks by the end of the gig, but you could whisper and hear yourself yeah. talk. Wow. I mean, it was one of those gigs you leave from and it was just a very profound experience of yeah. um letting it be like what it, it what it needs to be yeah, for that not moment what it like should or you know yeah, yeah. about being really honest that's right? really beautiful yeah i like that yeah that was that was something else that's a perfect place to end so um i always ask everybody at the end on this day what's your dream collaboration and it could oh be any gosh. medium you could pick someone who's dead you can build a whole team uh, who would you love to work with today? Oh, gosh. Um, uh, there's so many. Uh, I, I want to do so many fun projects. Um, I really want to do something with, with visual art. I don't yeah. even know what. I just have had this dream of doing something. Um, there's a, a family friend of ours, actually, who's, who's quite a successful artist, um, who just did a big mural for, um, if I remember right, Coach is building in New York. Cool. Um, and I, she does this beautiful abstract art. Um, she hit me to this really great book. I would love to do something with that. I don't yeah. know what, but something just big. It'd yeah. be really fun to do something just yeah. absurdly giant. I don't think I've told you this, but for my last album, I hired a visual artist to do an adult coloring book page. For oh my each gosh, of the, that's so fun. Because I also like love, like I'm a really visual person mm -hmm. who ended up in music. And I also feel like a deep drive to like yeah. be involved in visual art and Anyway, all this to say, there's some, there's something, there's always going to yeah. be something, there's something you can do. Yeah. Um, I, I think something big just sounds yeah. fun. I, I do so many medium sized projects. Yeah. It'd be fun to just do something giant. Totally jump over the, cool. the railing. I love it. <laughs> and then finally tell everybody where to find you. Yeah. Uh, right here, right now. Um, but <laughs> Emily's basement. Yeah. So, uh, you can find me on Instagram at david.baker.official. Um, and then, uh, pretty much that's it right now i have plans to bring everything else back i've retired most of my social media accounts what about like on spotify like what what's oh the... yeah check out some of my records if you want um so i have my first singer songwriter record which will not reflect my second one but we did it in one take it was really fun cool so you can tell we get tired by the end uh but it's called men of earth uh by david baker and then uh i have a uh uh, trio record I did with a saxophonist and a drummer um, called Minus Piano and is a tribute to a bunch of my favorite pianists cool. with no piano. With no piano. I love it. Um, so we did these fun arrangements and um, yeah, Minus Piano and that's under uh, David Baker Trio. Cool. David, thanks so much. Thank you. This is lovely. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Artifice. Our theme song is As You Are from my album Masks with artwork and merch designs by Sarah Keel and ad segment music by Jerem Hansen. If you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, please send me a note through my website, emvocals.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.